morning, church. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Oh, my goodness. Is it fall break for some people? Like, we're not quite awake yet. I said good morning, church. Come on. Come on now. Come on now. Come on, somebody. I'm really glad you guys are here. Uh, good to see everybody. We are in week, I believe, 22 of our series in the book of Acts. You're like, oh, my gosh. So if, you're, if this is your first time, you're like, I'm not going to know what to talk about. Don't worry. This is, a, this, is, this is a series, but it's also a standalone in its own way. So we'll, we'll pick you up to speed. So uh, if you know anything about the book of Acts, uh, it's the first book of, uh, the first book, not a gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the book of Acts. And what it is, it's the story of um, the uh, expansion and the growth of the early church, the baby church, right? The baby Christian, not the church on this corner, but the Christian church, right? So Jesus has uh, died and resurrected and ascended to heaven, and his followers, his disciples have been dispersed all over the globe, but really all over that part of the world. Um, and we see the, 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 uh, the first steps of the baby church. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a compelling story. And so we are actually going to start in the second half of chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, um, Acts chapter 20, um, it'll be on the screen. If not, uh, Bibles and Bible apps work great. But if you have a, a, a paper Bible with you, open to chapter 20. And we're going to start in verse 17. But I want to say this. So here in this chapter, we find Paul on his third missionary journey. And so far, he and his companions have been all over the place. They've been to Ephesus and Greece and Macedonia and all over what, is, what was known as Asia Minor at the time, preaching the gospel. And he and his traveling partner, Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke. And uh, does anybody know what uh, occupation Luke held? What was he? He was a doctor, so he was very thorough and, and, and very detailed. And so... He was a, a perfect choice to be a, a traveling companion and a scribe and someone who wrote down all the specifics of what was going on. So that's what we find here in, um, in the book of Acts. So chapter 20 is where we're picking up. And so while Paul and Luke are in Ephesus back in, in 19 and 20, um, there was this pattern that happened, occurred everywhere Paul went. He would preach the gospel, then... They'd, they'd all start fighting, and then he'd skip town. He'd preach the gospel, a riot would happen, and he would leave, right? That, this was a pattern. So, and you might say, well, was Paul just, you know, harsh? What was going on? He's just like calling people out and just telling them what's what? I mean, sort of. But, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this. Anytime the true, full gospel is preached, folks, what happens? It is, it is. It is a dividing line, right? And, 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 and the whole, all the details of, of the gospel, which is good news, but if all the details are, are, are preached, I mean, we are dead and without hope in our sin apart from Christ. And, and unless, unless Jesus intervened, we were without hope. We just sang about that. So Jesus, there was this gap, this, this chasm that could not be crossed by us to, to get to God. And so what God does is he sends Jesus to bridge the gap so that we can now 
have a relationship with the living God, be in right relationship with if we put our trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done on that cross, not what we have done or could ever do. Amen? So that, so there, there is, there in a, in a, in a very short summation is kind of the, the full gospel. If we put our trust in Christ, we will, we'll be resurrected as well. So, but the, the, the first part is the, the part that stings. It's a call to repentance. It's a call to repentance. Without the realization that you and I are without hope on our own, there can be no repentance. Amen? There cannot be a true turning to Christ. If you don't have need for a Savior, you're not going to call on the Savior. Right? So there must be that. So anytime the gospel, the full gospel, is preached, there will be some tension. There will be some tension. There must be. And so imagine hearing this message. You've heard it all your life, mostly. But imagine hearing this for the first time, and you are of another faith or religion or background, and you hear this for the very first time. It's going to set some people off. So there was this pattern of preaching, riot, skip town before he got captured or beaten or all this stuff. And he did, he did endure his, his own, his own um, share of, of hardship for sure, as we're going to see in a minute. So we pick up in Acts chapter 20, and we read in verse 17, starting in verse 17, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the, last, from the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, in, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must, return to, they must turn to God in repentance. And have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Wow. Listen, the, the fir first and foremost, we need to, I want you to hear Paul's heart. Right? This is super important to hear the heart of Paul. Like He's saying my life is worth nothing. How, how often do I say that? Never. Almost never. Do I wake up in the morning and say, you know what? My life is worth nothing compared to to the good news of the gospel, right? So you hear his humility, hear his, 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 uh, his direction, right? It's pretty straightforward. He knows who he is. He knows who he's not. He says, my life is worth nothing, nothing to me, and I, I'm going to preach the gospel and do what God's called me to do, and that's the only thing that matters. Not how much I have in, in my bank account, not my social standing, not how many people like me or, you know, even dislike me. Really, all that matters is the gospel. So let's all stop and take note of that for a second before we move on. That's, that's the template for, that every believer should model their lives after. Amen? And you may say, well, that's, that was Paul. That's not, that's lofty. That's like, he was like, 
you know, uh, PhD level Christian, right? I, I can never live up to that. The truth is, anyone and everyone can and should take that posture. It sounds daunting, but we'll, we'll go through this. So Paul is saying, I'm compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Compelled, that's a really strong word. The Greek interpretation of that, the Greek word, the original Greek word is so strong. It's like a, it's like a, a, a magnetized. I'm, I'm drawn and nothing can stop the draw, the pulling that I have in my heart to Jerusalem. Nothing can stop it. He says, I'm compelled. I'm going. I know that bad stuff's awaiting me, but I'm going anyway. I have to go. Then in verses 25 through 31, there's a, there's a warning to the church about wolves among the flock and be good stewards of the church and be good teachers and leadership and be shepherds of the church and all that. We're going to skip that part for the sake of time, but we're going to skip down to verse 32, which says, Now I commit to you, commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. So again, a call to humility here. He's saying, look, I have nothing. I have nothing. All I have is I am armed with the gospel. That's all I've got. A penny to my name, right? But God is taking care of me. Does that make sense? In verse 35, he says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is blessed and more blessed to give than receive. Of course, we've all heard that, mainly around Christmas time. By the way, this is the only place in Scripture that that is quoted. It's, if you have a red-letter Bible, it's, it's, it's in red. It, these are the words of Jesus, but there, you won't find this in, in the Gospels. He is quoting what Jesus said. Of course, you know Jesus said a lot of things that, that probably weren't written down and recorded that we don't have. Of course, that makes, that makes perfect sense, correct? But he's quoting Jesus. He said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And he's saying, in this context, he's saying, I give my life. I give my life. I don't ask for anything in return. I've got all I need. I give my life. It is more blessed to give than receive. You're not talking about a gift at, under the tree at Christmas time, he's saying, my life, I give my life. So when Paul had finished speaking, verse 36, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Okay, so this was the last time they were going to lay eyes on Paul in this life. So imagine this. It's pretty emotional. He'd been with them for a long, long time. Some of them he'd been with for a couple of years, right? He was in Ephesus for a couple of years. So imagine knowing this is the last time you're going to see someone. Now, some of you have experienced this, maybe with a loved one. Maybe you were, maybe you were fortunate enough and blessed enough to be at someone's bedside as they drew their final breath. And you, they, were, they were lucid enough for you, them, for you to be able to say, goodbye and for them to say goodbye to you. Now, I don't want to bring up any memories, but I, I, I actually partially do because I want you to get the sense of how heavy this, this was. And this went on everywhere Paul went. 
there was, a, there was a time in Paul's life where he knew this was the last time, every stop he made, this was the last time he was going to see these people because he, was, he, had a, he had a destiny to suffer, much like the Lord Jesus. He had a, he had a date with, with suffering and death for the cause of, of the gospel. And he knew it. He didn't know how. He, didn't, he says he doesn't know the particulars, but he knows what's awaiting him. Does that make sense? So here we find Paul, resolute. It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty stunning, but they're all emotional, and they're saying their goodbyes here. So now we're going to flip, jump over to the beginning of chapter 21. I want you to flip over there with me, and then we pick up this story here. It says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed through, through straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. We found a ship, crossed over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After, setting, after sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was, unloaded, was to unload its cargo. Verse 4, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. And this is the part I want to get to because this is sort of central to this discussion today. The last half of verse 4, through the Spirit... They, being Paul's friends and companions there, urged Paul, listen to this, not to go to Jerusalem. They urged him not to go through the Spirit. So I want you to hold on to this thought because it's very interesting. God, through the Spirit, told Paul to what? Go to Jerusalem. But God, through the Spirit, told Paul's friends... So seemingly to tell him not to go. Is that a contradiction in Scripture? You'll, you'll see uh, things like that that make you go, hmm, how can the same spirit with the same intention say two different things to two different people that seem to contradict one another? Well, I, there are people that are a lot smarter than me, and I've read every kind of commentary this week on this, on this one. I've never thought about it before. But, you know, it's not a contradiction. I fully believe this is, this is it's a matter of, perspective. I do believe that God spoke to these, these friends of Paul's, and I do believe, obviously, we know God spoke to Paul because of the result of his ministry. We know that. So how can the same spirit, the same God, say two different things to two different people on the, concerning the same matter? Well, here's, here's what most scholars believe. We, they believe that the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul's friends and gave them a little bit of insight, a heads up, if you will, about the sufferings Paul was about to endure. Does that make sense? And of course, the Holy Spirit gave Paul a heads up as well. So if you know that a friend or family member of yours is heading into hard times, are you not going to warn them? Of course you are. Of course you are. And this is simply someone who cares very deeply for Paul, people who care very deeply for him, and say, hey, don't go. We don't want you to, we don't. It, much like Jesus' disciples did him. It, isn't it a parallel there? There's so many of Jesus' Paul said, don't, you don't have to do this. You don't have to go. You don't have to, do you have to? And Jesus says, I must go. I'm compelled to go where? To the cross. There's such a parallel here between Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, and it's intentional for us this morning to hear so the Spirit of God is speaking to both. And of course, the Spirit gives them all a heads up. And of course, the natural reaction, the perspective of Paul's friends is to say, don't go. Don't go. 
But Paul is what? The word compelled to go. Paul is compelled to go. That's so good. Verse 5, when it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. Verse 6, after saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Ptolemais, where we were greeted by brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, being Paul, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. It's a prophecy. God sent this man, Agabus, to tell this to Paul and all, everybody who heard. What was the response? Verse 12, When we heard this, we being Paul's friends and companions gathered around, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. There's, there's the second plea, not to go. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, when he would not, not be dissuaded, meaning when they could not change his mind, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Isn't that beautiful? So this prophet comes down and speaks this crazy, weird prophecy over Paul, bound up and, and handed over, and the Jews would, would hand him over to the Romans to be beaten and, and put in prison. So the people there that heard this were begging him not to go. But of course, it says he would not be dissuaded, because why? That word, he was what? Compelled. He was drawn to Jerusalem. No one or nothing was going to stand in his way, Right? Why? Not for his own gain, but for what? The sake of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom. All right, that's super important. So maybe, listen, maybe we can break kind of life and existence and, and the questions of life down to two, question, two, two essential questions. One, the first question everyone on earth has asked in some way, shape, or form, and that's this question, why am I here? What is my purpose Right? We've all asked that question. When we're old enough to contemplate it, we ask that question. Why am I here? And for the believer, there's a follow-up question. What is the follow-up question? Well, God, what is your plan for me? Right? We ask it in a different way, a different tone, right? Different angle. God, what is your will? What is your plan? God, I mean, I think I, I've heard you have a plan for me. What is your plan? plan for me? So that's the first question that we ask. Everyone asks the question, why am I here? We as, as believers ask, God, what's your plan for me? And the second question is this, and it's, it, it, this, is the, this is the core of, of the message today, and this is, is this. How do I hear the voice of God? How do I hear from God? How do I know it's God's voice? How do I know it's not just a gut feeling? How do I know it's not just the mood I'm in? How do I know if it's not just good advice from a trusted friend? How do I know it's God? Right? 
We've all asked that question. If you are, if you are trusted in Christ, there's been a time in your life where you ask, how? I, I, I'm, I, I'm told I'm supposed to be able to hear from God. But how? How? How do we know that we have heard from God? See, hearing God's voice to most Christians is a lofty, mysterious, um, daunting thing. To most Christians, we, we've just literally just put that in a whole nother Ph.D. level category that we're just not going to reach on this side of eternity. That's not true. That's not true. If you, are a, a, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've put your faith in him, God is speaking. And he wants to make himself known through his voice. God, God, God wants you to hear him. Why would God be hiding? God is not hiding. God is not trying to be subversive. God is not trying to be uh, unnecessarily mysterious, although he is mysterious by nature. God is not trying to make it hard for you to hear him. Does that make sense? We believe, sometimes we believe in our heads and our hearts that God is trying to make it hard and difficult for you to, for you to hear his voice. And therefore, it's like the, you, you, you climb the ladder and, and at the top of the ladder, one day, one day, if you're lucky, you'll hear God's voice. That's not the Christian life. That's not, that's not how God designed it. God is ever speaking and God desires for the youngest person in this room, the little baby, up to the oldest adult to hear his voice clearly. In fact, I would say little children hear the voice of God much clearer than, than adults do on average. Would you agree with that? I would say little children because they're not, they're not yet jaded by the world and, 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 and uh, negative uh, pessimistic outlook on things. And their hearts are open and their hearts aren't crowded with things and people and money and bills and all that stuff. They can hear the voice of God clearer than we can sometimes. Does that make sense? So I, I don't think it's a daunting thing at all. I don't think it's, it is a mysterious thing. How does it work? I don't know. But God is speaking. And he desires for you to hear his voice. See, we want to debunk, this is like Mythbusters this morning. We want to debunk a couple myths about how we hear the voice of God, all right? So first, there's this, this, this myth that pastors or church leaders have the inside track to God, a hotline to God, straight to God, and we hear God clearer than you do. And that is just not true. It's just not the truth. Should we be listening as much or more than anyone? Of course we can't rightly, Shannon, me, anyone else that stands in this pulpit can't rightly stand here unless we've heard from God. And nothing I say this morning, it better not be from me. This better be from, from God. This, this needs to be from the voice of God, right? Speak, your servant is listening, right? So, so I don't have an inside track to God. I'm terrible at listening. Y'all, I am so impatient. I get ahead of God all the time. I run, 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 run. And God says, stop. Sometimes God whispers. Sometimes, in my case, he has to yell because I'm hard-headed and I'm slightly deaf. But God is ever speaking. And I should be ever listening in my heart. It's not a daunting thing. It's not an unreachable thing. So it's really very simple. We tend to complicate it. Here, here's here's, a, here's a, a fact that you can take to the bank for sure. 
The Holy Spirit is God's voice to us. The Holy Spirit is God's voice to us. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit is here, is in your heart. So he doesn't have to whisper from way out yonder. He can whisper right here. He can speak to your heart in ways. And listen, have you ever heard, just heard from God and he's like a thousand percent yes? That, that, was, that had to be God. Of course you have. And then sometimes you've wondered, is this God? Is this me? Is this my wants and desires? Is this what you want, God? We all ask those questions. But the fact of the matter is that God wants to be heard. And the Holy Spirit is God's voice to our hearts. He's the one that speaks on God's behalf. To us, and it's so important for me to attune my heart to the tone and the pitch and the timber of God's voice. Pet peeve of mine I cannot stand to hear a guitar player play a guitar that's even slightly out of tune. Zach Bryan, I hope he didn't watch this. Yeah, I call Zach Bryan out. His guitar's out of tune all the time. Good artist needs to tune that guitar. I can't stand it, y'all. It is like nails on a chalkboard. And I and my my ears are so attuned to what those strings ought to sound like. And I, I and, and I've learned a skill of tuning by ear um, over the years. And like, how do you do that? Well, no, if you hear something enough, you know what it's supposed to sound like. I know what an E is supposed to sound like. I know what an A is supposed to sound like. I go right down, the, and if I don't have a tuner, I can tune it by ear, and I can get pretty close if I don't have a tuner on board. But I'm going to tell you, my ears are attuned to that. I know what an E sounds like, and I know what an E is not supposed to sound like. I know when all six of those strings are lined up, and they're in perfect pitch with each other, that thing sounds good. But one string, one of the six, if it's off, is bad, is it not? Is bad. And, and, and look, you don't have to be a musician to know what a bad what what sounds bad, correct? You might not know what sounds good all the time, but you know what sounds bad. Amen. Don't throw any shade at the porch band. We try our best. Every now and again, my guitar's out tune. Like, you see it on my face. I try not to show it. I do. I know what an in tune guitar sounds like. I know the tone, the pitch, and the timbre of what it ought to sound like when it's right. Correct? And, I, and that's the same way with the Holy Spirit. It's the best analogy I can give. The tone and the pitch and the timbre of God's voice is so important for me to grasp and to be familiar with. Familiarity with God's voice is key to the life of a believer in every decision we make. Listen, familiarity with God's voice is key to every decision we make. It's so key. Best story I can give, and until I come up with a better one, you know, you might hear it a thousand times. My students have heard it so, so much, and, you, and, and they're all like, I know what story he's going to tell. But the, it's the best analogy I can give. Um, when my son, I'm so glad, my, I, I, I'm not glad my son's not here, but he would be rolling his eyes big time. If you could roll your eyes all the way back to the back, he probably would be doing that. Son, if you watch later on, I love you so much. So, when he was about five, we took him to the Georgia Aquarium for the first time. And it was packed. I mean, like, sea of people. And all my students were shaking their head. They've heard this. Like, so we're hovered around the little stingray tank. And we're petting, you know, we're, we're you know, you can, they let them touch, you know. So I'm not sure if they still let you do that anymore. But anyway, they're tiny little. And uh, at first, you're like, ooh, like kids are like, oh, can I touch it? Yeah, sure. Just don't touch, the, you know, the bottom. Get stung. But so we're there. 
And I turn around for just a second to find the rest of my family. Or actually just you, because the rest of my family, actually you were tiny, tiny little. So I turn around to find you, and I turn back around, and Carson is gone. Gone. Now parents, if you've ever felt that feeling, it probably was only about 30 seconds. But it felt like two years. I started screaming Carson's name at the top of my lungs. Screaming his name. And, 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 and tears are shooting out of my eyeballs. Because all I could think of is I will never see. It's like a movie. I've seen all the movies. It's terrible. I, I'll never see my son again. He's gone. Somebody has snatched him. You might say, oh, he's alive and well. Yes, he is. But for 30 seconds to a minute, I promise you, it was, it was sheer terror in my heart. And so about that time, I'm yelling his name in the sea of people part. And there is my son, probably um, from me to Joyner. Okay, just pick on you, Joyner. Hey, Joyner. And, and he's standing still, and he's turned my way, right? What happened? He heard his crazy daddy yelling his name in the midst of thousands of people in that, in that aquarium. See, Carson's ears were attuned to the voice of, and the tone and the pitch and the timbre of his dad's voice, right? It's a familiar, familiarity, and it stopped him in his tracks. I, I like to think so. Maybe he was just lost and standing there the whole time. I don't know. But I would like, I choose to believe that my voice drew him back and caused him to stop, right? The tone, the pitch, and the timbre of God's voice is so, so crucial. Jesus said in John 10, 27, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Familiar with God's voice. So there are three primary ways that we're going to touch on this morning that I believe we hear the voice of God. All right. So if you're a note taker, this is for you. The first and foremost way that we hear the voice of God His word. This is the primary way that God speaks to humans. And every other way that he speaks to us comes through this filter. This is God's primary voice to his people. This. And if I am not familiar with this, there's no way I'm going to pick up on the voice of God. No way. There is impossible for me to know the will of God and his plan and direction for my life if I don't know this. And I can say this makes me uncomfortable sometimes, and sometimes, I don't know if I agree with this, this, and this, but it is the word of God. It, 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 you, my opinion of this does not matter. My, my social slant on this does not matter. It is the word. It is the infallible, inerrant word of God. It is truth for life. It is the voice of God. And if I'm not at least endeavoring to dig in here, to read, to meditate, to ask God what it means for my life, how in the world am I ever going to hear God's voice? How? It's impossible, folks. It's impossible. The Word, that's the first way. Number two, those little Holy Spirit whispers. Those little Holy Spirit whispers, which can come from Scripture. It can't just be a, a, a nudge. You ever had a nudge? 
You know, I grew up Baptist, so good old Baptist would say unction. You ever had a Holy Spirit unction before? The best example I can give, um, and I, I know, listen, I know I'm propping my family up. I know my family. So, like, but I, I, I will say, if anyone who knows my wife knows that she gets these Holy Spirit whispers all the time, and they come in the form of, I should text this person or I should call this person. I should check on this person. And she's, she's so attuned to what God says to her in that. And some of you are shaking your like, I, I've been on the receiving end of that for, for 20 years. And what a blessing that is for someone to be attuned to God's voice to say, I should call that person. It's happened to you. Whether you listened and, and followed through is on, is on me to do that. But like, that's, that's a, that, those are one of those Holy Spirit whispers. You should, you should call that person. You should check on that person. That's just a good example. That's, a, that's another way that maybe God speaks. All through the Holy Spirit, by the way. All through the Spirit. And the last one is through others. Through others. Right? God will send people into your life, look, that will speak truth. But remember, that truth is always filtered through the Word of God. If it contradicts the Word of God, it's not from God. It's not from God. So the Word, those little Holy Spirit, that little unction, whispers, whatever you want to call it, and then the wisdom of others. Right? Now remember, not every voice is the voice of God speaking to you from a, through a person. Good advice is not necessarily a word from God. You understand? That makes sense. I cannot pass a good word all from something automatically from God. I've been given some good advice before. It's not, it wasn't God's advice to me. I've been given good direction. It wasn't God's direction for my life. Case in point, my parents, they love Jesus, both of them. And, 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 my, and my father, um, you know, um, Every, every father kind of has, uh, uh, mother and father have, have kind of a, a, an idea of what their children's life might turn out like and what they might do for a living. We all, parents from nodding their heads, like, we all kind of say, oh, that, that, that's kind of what I can see them doing. And we kind of inadvertently or very overtly push them in a direction, right? We just do. We, we don't tend to, we don't mean to. Sometimes we push our kids in a direction. That's what I think you need to do. That's what I think you're good at. Well, we all do that, and, and, and my parents did it. You know, parents, we do it. I do it for my kids. I try not to. But when I, when I didn't become a business man like my father, and I went into, well, before ministry, I was a full-time musician for a little while, keep the dream alive, you know, trying to chase that dream. And, and of course, my father's like, that's, that's, that is a dead-end street, Justin. That is a, that's, you're not going to make any money. You can't raise a family that way. You can't be on the road and all that stuff. And, and he meant well. He meant well. But that was his advice. And it was good advice from a worldly perspective. And, I don't, and, and he's a godly man. But God had a different plan for me for that point. You see what I mean? Not every voice is kind of what God wants you to hear in that moment. It can be good advice, but it doesn't. It, you, we need to discern whether it's from God or not. You can have good advice and it not just be directly from God's mouth. But we need to discern when someone has given us some spiritual wisdom, we need to check it. We need to check it. Right? Not every voice, not every TV preacher or YouTube pastor or TikTok preacher is preaching the truth. Amen? Not every voice. Now, listen. Size of church is no indicator that, that, that that's a trusted voice. Amen? 
We have seen that lately in the church, capital C. Pastors, quote unquote, with thousands and thousands and thousands of members, and they are not preaching the gospel. They're not. They're not. That is not an indicator of success, and that's not an indicator of, of, of God's voice always. We have to be careful who we listen to. When it just sounds good, that is not always an indicator that that's from God. When it just sounds good, when it tickles the ears, so to speak, that's not always an indication. Am I, have I beat that horse dead enough? I'm sorry. I want to point out something in verse 12 in chapter 21, if you, if you look with me. So this prophet comes down and speaks this strange prophecy to Paul. And verse 4, actually back in verse 4 it says, Through the Spirit they urged Paul not to go. And we talked about how they heard both heard from God and they seemed to contradict one another. But it was all a matter of perspective. And they were both listening for God's voice, no doubt. But they heard it from two different angles. And I want to, I want to share this. I want to say this real clearly. God's voice never, ever contradicts his word. Never. God's voice will never contradict what's in here. If it contradicts scripture, it's not from God. Does that make sense? If it contradicts scripture, it is not from God. You can take it to the bank. God's word never, God's voice never contradicts his word. God's word is the primary way we hear from God. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Number two, God's voice is most clear to the person with a yielded heart. God's, God's voice is most clear to the person whose heart is surrendered fully. What did, what did they all say when they realized they couldn't dis- persuade Paul not to go? What did they say? God's will be what? Done. That is, an, that, is a, that is a posture of surrender, right? God's voice is most clear and the loudest for the people who have yielded their heart to God. Paul said, his will be done. That, that statement is a great declaration of surrender to the person that makes it. He says, my heart, my wants, my plans, all that, it's yours, God. The person whose heart is desired to surrender to God is willing to say, I, I don't matter. You matter. My life is worth nothing to me, Paul said. But the gospel is what matters most. He was hearing God clearly because of the posture of his heart. And number three, God's voice is both compelling and comforting. It's both compelling and comforting. Paul was compelled to go to Jerusalem, even though he knew what was waiting there, waiting there for him. But you know, in the midst of the worst trials in life, what does God do? What does the Holy Spirit do? He comforts. Doesn't he not? He comforts. Have you ever been around someone who had a, 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 a who maybe has had a terminal diagnosis, who knows the Lord? I, I've been around some people like that, and they are more calm than I am. They are more comforted by the Spirit than I ever have been. I, I, I am grieving and in knots, and they are somehow at peace, and they are confident in who God is, and confident that God has them. Isn't that amazing? God's word, God's voice is both compelling and comforting to the hearer. Compelling and comforting. Paul was empowered to go to Jerusalem. And no doubt, the Holy Spirit comforted him in knowing what was ahead of him. 
question for you today really is, have you ever heard God's voice? Do you know what God's voice sounds like? Right? I'm not talking about maybe, a, you know, I, I don't, maybe it might have been from God. No, I'm talking about like so sure, more sure than anything. Just as I'm sure as I'm standing here, God spoke to me. Right? Well, I want you to know, there are times that that will ebb and flow as far as like, you know, thunderbolt kind of, kind of God speaking and then whisper. That, that, will, that will depend on the season of life you're in. But I want you to know something. God still wants to be heard. The whisper ought to be like thunder to the voice of a Christ follower. Look at me. The whisper ought to be like thunder ringing in the ears of a Christ follower. Just as much as is God like banging on the door yelling like he has to do me sometimes. God wants to be heard. God wants to be heard. And he desires for you, you and me, to listen to him. To listen. It's the direction of my life at stake here. It's the, it's the advancement of the gospel at stake here. When was the last time you knew distinctly that God was speaking to you and, and had a certain directive for you? When's the last time? Are you intently leaning in and listening for God's voice among all the other voices swirling around you? Are you intently leaning in? You know, the bottom line of today's message is the same as last week. Shannon said, lean in. I say, lean in. Lean in. Lean into the voice of God. Lean into the voice of Scripture. Lean into that. Desire to hear from God. Speak, Lord, like Samuel did. Your servant's listening. I promise you God is not hiding. God is not trying to be subversive or mysterious. God desires for you to hear him. He is constantly speaking. He doesn't just speak in the big moments of life. He speaks in every moment of life. Now, he, do you need to ask God what color socks you put on this morning? No. I don't need to ask God that. I can take care of that myself. But I'm telling you, the fine details matter to God. And they should matter to you to, to, to seek the voice of God, to seek what God has for all of us. Amen? That is, that's God's will. I can tell you, God's plan for you is to hear him, to know him, to follow him. That's that. We, don't have to, we, don't, we don't need to know the details of God's will. I can tell you what God's will for my life is, is to know him, to make him known, to follow him all the days of my life, to, let, to help others follow him too. That is God's will for my life. I don't know the particulars. I don't know that I'll ever uh, be persecuted like Paul, Paul was. I know that I'm going to endure suffering. Every Christian will. But I know that God speaks. And, and I want to attune my heart to the pitch and the tone and the timbre of, of Father God. So that I can know when God is speaking for sure. For, without a, I don't have to guess. I don't have to wring my hands and go, I don't know if it's God. I don't know if it's me. No. If I'm in, the word, if I'm in this word and I say, I pray the, the prayer, speak God, your servant is listening. I will hear the voice of God. So will you. So will you. So will you couple of things I would like to ask you to ponder as an action step to this, this morning. First is to pray this prayer. Lord, help me attune my heart to your spirit. Help me attune my heart to your spirit. Attune my heart to the tone, the pitch, and the timber of your voice. And, and secondly, Lord, help me to yield to you so that I can hear your voice. Help me to yield my heart. Fully surrendered so that nothing's in the way. So that I can block out all the noise. So that I can hear you and do what you call me to do. When it comes down to it, 
1 Samuel 3.10. Young Samuel, young, young Samuel, pray this prayer. Speak, your servant is listening. I promise you that's a powerful prayer. If you apply that to your daily life, and see what happens in the aftermath, you'll be amazed at how, how much you hear from God and how, 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 how different your life will look, how different my life will look if I just meditate on, on, on the Word of God, if I listen for the voice of God intently, if I yield my heart to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the truth in Your Word. Thank You for Paul being so faithful to the call. God, um, we hear many voices in this life. Some of them not from you. Some of them not great voices. Some of it's just good advice, and that's okay too. But what we want more than anything is, a, is to hear from you. What we want more than anything is to hear what you desire for us your direction, your purpose, plan for our life. Thank you for the example Paul set for us. He was, he was going to be compelled to go where you sent him, to do what you asked him to do. Father, thank you so much for your spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for the working in our lives. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for speaking on God's behalf to our hearts. So, Father, I pray for the next few moments before we say amen that you would that you would just speak to us, that we are listening. And maybe, maybe for some of us, it's been a long time or maybe never since we heard God's voice. Maybe we've been, maybe we thought we heard you, maybe a whisper every now and again, but we couldn't make out what you said. And we've made some really bad decisions because we went with a gut feeling and not we didn't, we didn't consult your word or you for that matter. Maybe we carry the scars from living life under our own terms and calling it Christianity. Maybe we, maybe we, um, maybe we impulsively do things and we think we are doing what you desire for us, but we're not immersed in your word, your precious word. God, forgive us of that. Pray that we would hear your voice clearer today than we ever have. God, in the coming days weeks and years of our lives, God, that we would attune our hearts to the tone, the pitch, the timber, the characteristics of your voice. Your voice is a compelling voice, but it is a comforting, soothing voice as well. It is an empowering voice. Sometimes it booms and thunders. Sometimes it's a whisper. But it is always graceful. It is always ever inviting and loving. So pray that we would respond right now. Holy Spirit, do what we could not do in this moment. In your name we pray.